Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And we're really excited to be hosting episode one, in large part due to how great our first get was. Hey, I'm, I'm Jesse Terry. We were born to an innocent life, far away from stations that crackle at night. Look around, look around, our shelter is gone. Jesse Terry is an American-born songwriter that spent the better part of the last decade touring the world as an original solo songwriter and performer. Jesse's one of those guys that doesn't seem to have the face muscles to produce a frown. His smile is contagious, and when he swears, it's somehow less offensive. I've had the pleasure of playing a number of shows with Jesse, and we've also co-written some songs together, two of which ended up on Jesse's Stargazer album. Jesse has put out five studio releases over the last eight plus years, including two very different but very excellent records in late 2018, Natural and Stargazer. Jesse was in town for the interview, for a shared performance with Ed at the prestigious Hideaway Cafe here in St. Petersburg, and came to us fresh off the 30A Songwriters Festival stage, where he shared a lineup with the likes of Jason Isbell, Brandy Carlisle, John Fulbright, Aaron Lee Tazjian, and so many other current greats. Jesse was generous with his time, sharing insights and stories in a freewheeling conversation that we're giving to you in two parts. We hope you enjoy both episodes. So, Jesse, you're in town for a show? Multiple shows. Yep, yep. I've been in Florida for like three weeks now. I feel like a a resident. (laughs) Where were you before that? (laughs) Um, I played um, uh, 30A Songwriters Festival, which is just incredible, in the the panhandle. Mm Mm-hmm. Like all the places, like up and down 38 Highway, and um, who were some of the songwriters there this year? Oh man, like Isbell and Brandy Carlisle and and Aaron Lee Tazjian. Yeah. So, what's the format of that festival? Like, are you playing multiple days, multiple shows? Yeah, so I played three shows. Um, we were there. We were there for five nights. Um, so it was. It, it, it's a bit of a, a holiday, you know. Especially with I brought my family, mm-hmm. including my dog. Mm-hmm. So we just had a <laughs> had a freaking blast, you know. And, and I've got a five month old, so um, Lily. Mm-hmm. So can I give you some advice? Yeah, you mentioned the dog and the baby. Maybe you should mention my my beautiful <laughs> wife was there <laughs> as well. I love Jess. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Ed. So you're playing multiple days. At yeah, songwriter fest. Yeah, so we played there three three out of the five uh, days we were playing, and um, you know one day we just chilled and, and you know we actually did a lot of laundry and you know very glamorous stuff like that. Got mm-hmm. ready for the festival, you know, had some coffee on the beach and and. Uh, but I did. Did I hear you right? Also, like Susie Bogus was your babysitter for. Uh... Well, that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Ed about that. I mean, I'm a. I'm a big you know i grew up with that kind of stuff and and i grew up with all kinds of stuff my dad my dad had some some hits 
as a as a country artist up in Canada. So I grew up on you know Susie Bogus and Kathy Matea and Vince Gill and like you know really really great talent and really great singers and country artists of that generation. Mm-hmm. So I played right before Susie Bogus. So she she came out of her her tour bus. And I had Lily, and I was uh, I was flying Lily around. And she goes, she came back, and she goes, oh, I didn't know there was gonna be babies backstage. This is like even better. And <laughs> and then like I got off, I, I played my set, and I got off, I got off stage, and I did feel like it went well. Um, and Susie was like, oh, that was fun. she was really complimentary. It was really nice, and and I was just like, oh, that's cool. And then she got up on stage, and she she like continued, and I just like it was it was just so humbling, you know, so cool. Yeah, it's just one of those, one of those great nights. You know, one of those those special nights. Mm-hmm. What was the venue? Um, it was in this. I think it was in a big tent. So I'm not sure if that was like a regular venue. It was also like an extremely like. I mean, actually, I didn't have a sound check. Come to think of it, because it was so windy and rainy and like lightning that the sound men like c- cut off the power. So the fact that the show went well. And that everything worked and like sounded good on stage for me as well it was just a minor miracle, mm-hmm. you know, because we had like a a two minute sound check in front of this audience that uh, this pretty big audience it was it, it's just a miracle how some things work like that. And then other nights you have a two hour sound check and it sounds like shite on stage, mm-hmm. you know. One of the shows on your on your docket, you're playing with that. Yeah, yeah. This Friday night. Um, at the Hideaway Cafe in St. Pete, which mm-hmm. has become kind of like a favorite yearly kind of tradition for me, and uh, and playing with with Ed has been great, mm-hmm. and writing with Ed and hanging with Ed, and it's just been been awesome. It's cool to know that too. I, I'm the Hideaway is that for the people that live here locally. Certainly, getting to play there's awesome, but it's it's great to know that people traveling through like is it also one of your like nationally one of your favorite venues? I think so. I mean. They're, they're, there's so many and of course like the audience makes it and i feel like the the audience there is really great and you know well trained <laughs> like they <laughs> they, yeah. they know not to talk while you're singing and and um usually there's a, a nice bunch of people there and is so that but the room is really good as well and it's always it's always sounded really good like john really cares about the the artists and the the sound and yeah, that that contributes to it. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's a yeah great listening room that put up there with any any other listening room. And you know, a lot of the times, at least what I've seen, has been rooms like that or yeah. house concerts. Right. Some people really like house concerts. Some people really don't like house concerts. Where yeah. Where are you in that? Well, I I really do love them. I mean, let's explain a little bit about what a house concert is for people who've never been to a house concert. Right. So, I mean, house concerts are, um, I feel like they're bigger in the States than um, UK and Europe, which I also tour quite a bit. And I mean, but but there's definitely plenty of people, every time I play a house concert, there's plenty of people who have never been to one. And they're like, is this going to suck? Is this going to be cool? (laughs) You know, you can see it in their eyes. And, and, And luckily, I mean, for at least for the last few years, you know, normally people go away happy and they enjoy it. They enjoy it, but um, it's really just the host getting together, like you know, around thirty of their you know favorite friends and family, and 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 those folks giving the artist a suggested donation, and and mm-hmm. then the artist just putting on a really good show, you know. And 
you know, I have, um, I've got a PA in the, in the van, like I'm always ready to go, you know, like, and, um, I've done a lot of them. So at first it was like, man, this is like, um, this is the hardest thing in the world to play for like 30 people. It was so intimidating. And so, you know, and, and usually the host will keep it really, really lit, you know, (laughs) and you're like, have you been to a concert before? Normally the audience is in the dark and like, we're, you know, and like usually the audience is like, like you're you and me and and so you can see every yawn right you see yeah you see every little thing you see the person that's got their arms crossed you know who could be digging it but um that's how they that's how they act while they're listening to music and so um for those that can't see us jesse said you and me he's pointing at me for reference i'm sitting in jesse's lap so (laughs) (laughs) that's right there's no video in here i forgot i forgot but yeah it's it's so I, I really do love them, but at the same time, like they're 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 a great part of this infrastructure that allows like people like myself, like at a at a mid level or w- whatever level I'm at, to continue to do this full time and um, you know and to to keep the rent paid because a hundred percent of the money goes to the artist, and then people for for whatever reason tend to buy a lot more merch at a house concert, so. So maybe I'll go play for thirty or forty people and and walk away with a thousand bucks. Well, I wonder if it feels more personal, you know, for the audience so. too, because yeah. it's super unique. It's not a venue that everybody's going to right. all the time, you know. It's more intimate, and they have the the opportunity to kind of actually converse with you and and yeah. feel like yeah. They're... And I think you're hitting a demographic as well. They're like normally, I mean there are some that are all over the place and there's young people and there's old people, but I mean, for the most part, you're, you might be hitting a demographic that's not going out like to the Mm -hmm. clubs. They might just go over to their friend's house, but I'm not, you know, I I don't think it'll, it's not going to make you famous to to do that. But, but if you can mix that in and sometimes I like to use it, I mean, it's also a, a concert that you don't have to promote a ton. So like, instead of sitting at the computer self-promoting all the, all day long you could be writing a song right and then you know you know that the the rent's going to be paid that month because you have a few really good house concerts mm-hmm. so that's I, I think about it in a practical way as well but i do enjoy it I, you know i don't want house concert hosts to be like you know he sucks he's just using it to <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you know somebody who's gone to several i mean it is a it's an awesome experience and you know, I think I mean, the, in, the hosts probably enjoy the fact that they're helping you. Yeah. You know, along your way on the tour. I think they like, really do. Like, well, and also I think maybe we should tell people that sometimes when you're doing a house concert, the the host will actually put you up at their mo- place. Most times they do. And uh, I'm not sure people are aware of how that. I mean, works. I'm staying with a host right now, yeah. and they're not even having a house concert, but I'm with them for like around a week my whole family they've just become like family to mm-hmm. me so that those are the kind of relationships you build from because they are so intimate and and i think the hosts want to get to know you and and vice versa and it's just and yeah like if they have a lot of people come out and the artist makes a bunch of money that night like they get it they know that you're not like going out to your maserati you know what <laughs> right. i mean they, yeah. they they understand there's like a lot of expenses and you're in florida like I live in Connecticut. Right. Like, cost a little money to drive down here. You know, so like, sure. They, I feel like hosts really get it. 
Yeah, and I think people too, maybe not, so maybe half the people that show up to a house concert, maybe their first time seeing it, but you know, I'd say probably everybody leaving can probably appreciate, you know, what they are contributing and and the yeah. level of artists that you're generally seeing at house concerts, at least that that I've gone to see and been fortunate enough to see at house concerts, has been a good, been a good handful of musicians that are really high quality level musician, and I'd say too. I think most people, and this is seems to become a lot more prevalent, really appreciating small venue shows, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so getting to see a really high quality level of polished national artist and songwriter um, at a small venue like that, especially at a house where it's super intimate like that, yeah. is a really cool, unique experience that I think people are taking less and less for granted. Yeah. I think one aspect of it that maybe people don't think about or talk about that much is the fact that you're just in a room with them. Like there's not necessarily a PA system and, and microphones all the time. You're just in a room with your guitar and your voice. Just It's much more of a direct, yeah, almost tactile experience, you know. Which is probably liberating. I mean, that's how you write, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. you and a guitar and that's but it. And I, all your I mean, affectations. For the audience as totally. well. Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it's, They're getting to hear the real thing. Right. Unprotected. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> 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 it's not safe. Yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. we don't want. It does feel a bit unsafe. We don't actually. want the audience to think that they could catch anything from house concerts again. No, no, it's very. Well, we it's, want the hosts to feel like these are hygienic. Experiences. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> it is a bunch I of mean, strangers potentially using your bathroom. But yes, yeah, I mean, well, yes, some strangers. Yeah, <laughs> um, mainly, mainly friends. You'd you'd hope. Um, so I've been I've been doing more concerts with like people that just host me like maybe once a year or maybe their first time hosts and or, or they heard about it you know someone came up to me at 30a or two people came up to me, to me at 30a and they're like hey i just heard about this house concert thing and you know do you do that you know it's like it's like yeah i'll i'll do that you know where do you live and mm-hmm. let's let's figure it out you know i don't know when it'll be but we can do that so what was your first house concert? Was that like an idea you brought to your fans or? No, no. Somebody approached you about it? I started researching it when I booked my first tour, which was in 2010 from a cruise ship in the South Pacific. I was like buying internet time on these cards and uh, I was playing, performing on a cruise ship. And um, Music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I juggle, mm-hmm. <laughs> juggle as well, <laughs> Cirque du Soleil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I was just like trying to figure out how I was going to make money, you know. And and I I fell in love with my wife as well out there as well out there. She's a a, a Kiwi Kiwi girl on the ship or on the ship. Yeah, she okay. yeah she's a photographer, and she was a photographer on the ship, and and so this all happened very quickly. And I was like, well. Nobody knows who I am. I've been. My first job was um, a stat, being a staff writer in Nashville for five years. You know, signing a publishing deal. No one knew me really as an artist. For for the songwriters listening though, that's a pretty sweet first job. Yeah. Well, I mean, my well, my first job was was scrubbing yachts, but I only did that for a couple of months. <laughs> and like, I always had a job waiting tables as well, like on the mm-hmm. weekends. But yeah, it's but yachts. Scrubbing. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're gonna scrub a boat, if I you're guess scrubbing something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like the Tennessee Titans would come down. A lot of them were Tennessee Titans yachts, and they they'd come down and they'd be like, "Man, there's like there's a, there's bird crap on my yacht," you know. And I'm like, "Man, do you know how hard it is to keep the bird crap <laughs> these? This is a big giant white thing, you know, in the blank canvas, a magnet for 
for bird crap. But um, anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, I mean, to get a publishing deal, like I feel like, um, you know, I I feel like I really learned, you know, I went, I went to music school as let's, well. Let's unpack that a little bit and rewind it. I mean, how, so how do you end up, because I'm sure, again, hopefully people listening to this are the people are like, I would love to be a songwriter for my living. Like, yeah, not yeah. even just a touring one, but a staff writer at a publishing company. It is a great living. So yeah, I mean, walk, walk that back a little bit. How, like, yeah. You yeah. start playing, you go to music school, like, did you grow up around yeah. music? Um, yeah, my, my parents are both, um, we're both musicians. My dad's still, um, a full-time musician and, um, studio guy at, at 67. He's dialed it back a bit, but he's always made his living that way. You said he had some hits up in Canada? Yeah, he had some number one hits as an artist, um, up in Canada and he had some cuts like in Nashville and, um, he's had, he's won some Emmys as a, a film scorer. He's just a very, very talented That's awesome. all around guy. So did you grow up in Canada then? No, um, in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a New Englander. Um, I don't know how the Canadian thing happened for my dad. Just one of those random things. Um, and he's a multi-instrumentalist or composer? Yeah. Or? Yeah. He plays. Yeah. He play. I think he started with drums and then he went to guitar and piano and bass and he still plays pretty much everything i think he probably could still play the drums if somebody put a kit in front of him he doesn't mm-hmm. have one at the moment but um but he's yeah he's a he's a bit of a renaissance man this is yeah. michael, michael terry right? yeah michael, michael terry okay. and my my mom um you know before they split um they were in a duo together and i've heard like old you know i think they had a record out and i i I heard it once. I think there's only a couple copies left. But was it was it any good? It was really good, actually. Yeah, it was you, just. You can tell the truth. They probably won't listen to this podcast. No, I mean, no one could find the record anyway. So I mean, <laughs> but they sounded really beautiful together. So I grew up with with that, and then. So when you were growing up, they were still playing together. They were. I mean, they they got divorced when I was five. So yeah, my whole childhood was just them. Yeah, you know, that was that was the. Um, I was born in 79, so the 80s was a big, you know, the club scene was hopping. You know, I mean, there was lots of live music going on. So they played like six, seven nights a week. Oh, wow. You know, and then and then my dad woke up at like 5 a.m. to drive like a school bus, you know, super safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You know, and then like taught music. I mean, they worked really hard. Um but they were able to raise us kids, you know, and, and, um, but, and they exposed us to, you know, of course, like a lot of Beatles in the house, like a lot of Michael Jackson, a lot of Prince, like mm-hmm. a lot of, like, so there, there was a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of James Taylor. There was a lot of everything really, you know, there was just That's a healthy mix, but I grew up kind of wanting to, to not do music. You know, I, I would go into the studio and into my dad's studio. Um, and he had a really nice studio, like, in my teens and I but I would just go in there and 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 sing to tracks for fun you know I didn't play any instruments I didn't write any songs I I was I was heavy heavy into visual art and um and I I did that until I started writing and then once I started writing I started writing songs when I was like almost 19 and um you started playing guitar then too yeah yeah and that just that just got me you know just I moved I had an apartment. I I asked my grandma if I could move in, and and pursue that. And so and, did your dad and, like help? Yeah. Did you 
learn some guitar bits from him or no not okay. really i mean i had a great teacher um david Coe, and i had a great vocal teacher tracy marble um and they they helped me especially later on before i went to berkeley like get get ready for berkeley um because i didn't get in on the first try you know because i they were like, dude, you've been playing music for like a year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> but they like invite. It's it's funny. They like invited me to audition for a scholarship. Like about the same day, I got my rejection letter, and I was like, you guys need to get your departments <laughs> together. That would be yeah. Those are mixed. It was, it was really. I think I got this the scholarship letter first, and then I got the rejection letter, and I was like, man, all right, you know. So I went to community college that year, and I just. And then just, you know, played played music, you know, and stayed up every single night. I was just completely consumed by it. And and the next year I got into Berkeley. Well, so what was the switch? I mean, like, that's fascinating to me that, A, you do this for a living. I've also heard you perform several times. So you're one of my favorite songwriters and performers. And then on top of that, you started when you were 19. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, if you were doing visual art, what switch you made you want to do that? Like, was there some defining moment? Um. I just remember, you know, writing these first songs. I don't even remember like the titles of the songs, but I remember that feeling of creating that. And it was just, you know, I still want to get back into to art and occasionally I'll draw something. Um, I haven't painted in, in a long time, but um, the, the, that feeling of creating a song for me just like, just outdid it, you know? And it was just sitting down one day and just a catharsis and it happened and then you're like, wow, that felt really good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think... I think I was, you know, for a while I was just learning how to play the Beatles and James Taylor and whatever. And mm-hmm. and then, of course, you know, you you emulate that. And one of my very first songs was called um, A Farmer's Plight. <laughs> I can remember that. A Farmer's Plight? Plight. Plight. Yeah, Plight. Very, 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 like, like heady title. You know what I mean? Like, I was That's, trying to be, like... There's some smugness there in that title. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was it wasn't the worst song ever. Like, I, I it actually had it. A, had a cool chord in it that I probably you know just stole from James Taylor or Paul Simon or something. You sure? You sure it's not the worst song ever? It might be the worst song okay. ever. <laughs> now I, 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 I probably have it somewhere. But I mean, I do remember that I was I played it for my dad and some people that I trusted, and they and they were like, oh, that that's not bad. You know, like that's not bad for your your first song or your first couple songs. Not the worst. Not the worst ever. As songs yeah, I've heard, go, I've heard worse. That one. <laughs> yeah, that's a song. I yeah. mean, it's at least a song. You understand, you know, you understand where things go. It feels, it feels like a song. So I quit art school. I just, I think, just one day, I we were just drawing nudes, and I just, um, I just put down my charcoal. And I just said, you know, I want to go home and play guitar. Like nothing against this right now, but I just, I'm just not that into this right now i just want i just want to see my guitar how did the model take it not well yeah because they're like (laughs) that's very like it's a bruise is it something about me is is it me or is it i was like it's not me you know (laughs) it's not you it's me (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) (laughs) but um, oh that's brutal yeah so i mean yeah and i was just fully into it and you know at berkeley i was i was totally you know really really dived in you know dove into it um 
that's this that's what this uh podcast is good called. point yeah right good yeah point. way to tie it back in yeah, yeah 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 it's all it's all connected we'll actually air this now yeah <laughs> thank you thank you yeah so it was just like it was it was this great time and and i loved the the experience at berkeley i loved the band that i had there i loved you know it was terrifying i mean fronting a band performing wasn't natural for me um but I also it was like a, a drug. I loved it, and and now that it is like, I don't think it. You know, I, I think it's just a, a matter of like maybe playing, however many shows I've played. You know, I mean, you've been touring or, for almost what a decade now. I guess so. Yeah, two thousand ten, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost a decade. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's, <laughs> no, it's cool. It's, it's an accomplishment. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It, no, it's it's really fun, and hopefully you get better, and and you um it feels less less nerve-wracking and as a result i think you're able to like convey more emotion and let go more you know and just just knowing that you're better at your craft and you can kind of let let go of like worrying about hitting the note or where you know you can you can really focus on emotion which i think is where you want to be yeah you know yeah you get the basics down yeah you start to nuance yeah i feel like you know i do feel that that way like i learned i learned like about music and i learned about craft at Berkeley and then very much like in Nashville being a professional songwriter and like having people but very formulaic like I really learned how like almost too much so like I feel like I learned like how soon you have to get to the chorus yeah or like like you know 99% of songs get to the chorus in this amount of time and Mm -hmm. I don't really I mean so now you're aware of the convention I'm aware of that I don't really want to know it anymore right like I don't want to know it really at all. So but do you I, think there's something to that though? It's sort of like you know, like I everyone's think like, there all right, is. everyone knows what a G chord sounds like, but the human brain, just like with color, like the human brain for the most part responds to certain chords a certain way because they sound a certain way and make you feel a certain. Oh really? Way. I didn't know that. I, I'm that's yeah. You went to music school. I know that. I should know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think that. I think that that's true. Oh yeah, there are oh. there are theories. It's one thing, you know, like you, you become aware of like, okay, this is the, this is how everybody does it. I don't want to do it necessarily that way. But there's also something to like, well, there's a reason, you know, there's a reason everyone does it that way also too. So right. like you don't want to throw out everything. No, you know, I, think, so I think it balance, was right? like, yeah, good to, to learn that craft. And there's definitely some people who don't learn craft at all. And, um, the, you know, the, there's no reference point. It's like, it's like being a painter and not studying michelangelo you know Mm -hmm. or or tracing some of those those drawings you know what i mean like that's kind of how you you get kind of like your foundation um but yeah i think i so i learned this craft in these in these places and in nashville and then really learned about soul and like emotion i think like on the road and like making records and performing for people and hopefully continuing to get better and better at that part of it the emotional part of it. It was Nashville the epicenter that it is considered currently back when you were growing up? Um, yeah, but I just think it was a little different because like when I moved there in 2004, like right after graduation, it was kind of already like on the decline as far as like the modern or the, the old record business. It was so, but it was still kind of humming and people were trying to preserve that old model. So it was a weird time to move there, you know, like it was, it was definitely on the way out, but there was still, you know, I'm sure there was a lot more 
paid songwriters in Nashville in 2004 than there are now. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have the numbers, but... And for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard you, um, you know, you your music is... Well, how would you classify yourself? I mean, I would say Americana. Yeah, I, yeah, whatever Americana is. I mean, I guess that's like a organic, um, kind of hopefully timeless sound. Mm-hmm. But it's genres are a real funny thing. You know, I, I try not to think too much about genres. I feel like there's a very strong vein of that in your music, but it's also like there's other ingredients in there that you don't often find in your average Americana artist. Oh, cool, too, cool. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I was I was describing because I was excited about doing this, and I was telling a friend of mine uh, earlier today, and they're like, "Oh, well, what kind of stuff?" And I said, "Okay, it's it is quintessential singer songwriter in the least, like the least corny conventional singer songwriter way. It doesn't feel contrived, and it doesn't feel like bubblegum poppy. Like you're gonna hear it on like Serious Coffee House, and be like, "All right, it's another one of these," you know? Like, oh, so man, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, and and I think also Americana is one of those things that. You hear it's like it's really hard to define. Like everybody sort yeah. of knows what it is, but it's, right. it's sort of like the category for all the people that didn't fit in other categories. Right. You know. Totally. For the Isabels and Mumfords and Yeah. Exactly. They get they get thrown in there. And then some of the old country people, you know, like a Susie Bogus will be in Americana now. And now a quick ditty about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Song Divers is proudly recorded in St. Petersburg, Florida. One of the reasons we love this area is due to how beautiful many of the homes and businesses are here. Well, many of those picturesque facades are due to the lush and tasteful work of Ryan's Green Design, one of the best landscaping and horticultural companies in the Southeast US. Their work can be seen from South Florida to South Carolina and on their social media channels. Whether it's updating your garden or a commercial retail center, getting a hold of Ryan's Green Design should be your first step. We can't wait to work with them on our next project, which we hope will be a new studio in our hometown. To see their work and get started on your next green space project, visit songdivers.com green for a free quote. And now, back to the interview. I remember seeing an interview with, uh, it was actually when Manny Moore was still married to Ryan Adams. Oh, right. Yeah. On, I think it was Letterman or Leno, but... I remember her saying that it was maybe Kim Lynott, one of those, but her saying it was really funny that, you know, Ryan Adams obviously writes, you know, very singer songwriter, but that he listens to like, like death metal. Right. Like that he's yeah, a right. metalhead, which I thought was like, what? what? Like, so I'm always fascinated by that of the stuff that people listen to, like, you know, knowing the stuff you write. Right. Are you listening to that type of stuff? Like when you, even today, like, are you going home and are you going, this is the stuff I want to turn on, or, or which I think is even more interesting with songwriters. Are you? Do you have stuff you listen to when you want to be inspired, or and then like stuff you just listen to for pleasure? Like, do you right, compartmentalize right. it? Um, no, I just I just listen to whatever like I want I want to listen to. I, mean, I think if I'm if I'm guilty of anything, it's becoming too enamored with like certain records and just never and like not exploring enough. Um, like name one. Well, really, anything that Jeff Lynn produced. Yeah. Um, you know all the the Isbell stuff. The, you know, um, oh man. I mean, like, I mean, of course, the Beatles. You know, like any Macca, any any George Harrison, like solo stuff. Lennon, of course. Like, I mean, like that kind of stuff. It, it's very comforting too. Like as you're driving, you don't need to like take in something new, which is requires for me like 
it's hard for me to go on these long drives as I'm touring and then like take in like this brand new like playlist, mm-hmm. you know? That's interesting. So like, it, cause it's just too much like, it's too much um, mental energy. Mental energy. It makes me really tired. Yeah. Because, you know, like my dad has the same problem. Like, so for me, like listening to, to Orbison or something, I can have that on in the background, like sing along or mm-hmm. just have it on in the background and drink a coffee. And it's not, I love it, but it's not draining me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's more kind of osmosis. I can't listen to music and do anything else. Yeah. Because my ear will go to the music. Totally. Like if somebody wants to converse with me and there's music going on, I have trouble not listening to the music. Yeah. My dad's <laughs> the same way. Yeah. So, he can't have music on in the car because he can't talk to me <laughs> or, do, or do anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, I mean, you guys, you know, with your background, certainly you schooling, I wonder if that's part of it. You know, you're more aware of the things that you're hearing potentially and, you know, and, and I certainly, I, I know you didn't necessarily go to school for it, but I, you've you've studied music for so long. Like it's probably the same thing, you know. I'm I'm aware Ed's, of more of it than I've ever been, but Ed's much more like I forgot pretty much everything I learned at Berkeley. I think. I mean, like except for the stuff that I use in my so songwriting. So music's just like every other college. Like, the, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, like I, but when you were talking about the that as a foundation, and we were talking about the structure of a song and how fast you get to the chorus oh, yeah. and how that's a foundation yeah but i i kind of felt that an echo of that like when we've co-written together mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll be like i think this feels too long uh-huh. and like we need to cut you know little areas out and to, yeah. to keep it from feeling long and i almost right. feel if like it, that's something you absorbed right that you're probably right like if it feels long it, it's not like me thinking oh this isn't going to make it onto like a playlist or like, like the radio. I'm just like, this feels long. This might, I think I'm getting bored. Mm-hmm. You know, the listener probably will too. Right. And like, there's not enough change happening and there's not enough suspense or like we've waited too long to build suspense. You know what I mean? Like it's like a movie that drags on too long in the middle, you know? Well, it's interesting how songwriters do that. I mean, I'm somebody who's hyper aware of that. Like the stuff that I'm writing and, and when we perform it, I'm terrified of it boring somebody, you know? And some of yeah. that's just the constant criticism of somebody criticizing their own work. But some of it is, right. like you said, hearing other stuff where you're bored. And I would say what's really interesting about I mean, the time, let's say, I, I've seen you probably four or five times at this point. And I've only seen you once with a band, and that was Ed's band. But I've never seen you play... Or even Ed, too. but And you write some really complicated stuff also. But there's, a, like, you're moving the song along. There isn't anything boring. But it's, again, it's not like you've got other instruments on stage. So I think that there is absolutely something to, how do you get the full thought out? Right. Right? And yeah. then, but also that you're not bored, but then also worried about, you know, the audience. Right. You know, who's not necessarily feeling exactly what you're feeling while you're singing or Right, they just know if they, what you wrote about. if they dig it or if they don't dig it. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? If they're feeling something or if they're not feeling something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where like the the craft comes in. And, and someone really crafty like a, a Paul Simon would probably be more aware of that or probably analyze that more. Where some I was listening to like like I, I like my my iPod was on shuffle on the way over, and like um, acoustic like Hello uh, Mr Soul by Neil Young came on. And I was just like, the solo oh, version? Yeah, so, yeah, it's so good, you know? And it's like, 
Like at Massey and Hall or one of those old. No, it was like, I think it was just like oh, unplugged, okay. MTV unplugged. So not really that recent, but like yeah. more recent. And, um, but what a, wow, what a great album that is. Uh, but, you know, he's kind of like the, the opposite of that, even though he is such a brilliant songwriter and he's written songs like Heart of Gold and stuff that get right to it. You know, like he just, I just feel like he does what, what he wants and he's like all emotion and all, all feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and he's a really interesting one as you talk about if the audience is digging it or not. And look, music's very subjective, but yeah. there's also, you know... It's not a right or a wrong, you know? Right, but I would also say that there's also, you know... I feel like Neil's one of those guys, like, he puts out some of the most incredible stuff, but he also, like, almost has a compulsion. He has to put out everything he writes, and then there's yeah. stuff where you're like... Yeah. Was, why I did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> there, he, like... I think he said that he doesn't rewrite, which, like, I just... I could ne- I could not do that, and mo- I don't think I don't think many songwriters would would say that. But he said that he just strictly doesn't rewrite anymore. And if that's true, I mean that explains a lot because like he- <laughs> 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 I wasn't gonna go there. I was wondering if you no, were Neil's like go. one of my biggest heroes. I mean, I think yeah. I think I mean Harvest Moon's one of the greatest records ever made, right. and like I mean, that, but you know if he does swing and miss it's very genuine mm-hmm. and if he swings and hits it's like it's out of the park because it right it is pure emotion so you can't you, you know if, if you hit that right you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be magic it's gonna be harvest moon or something you well know? it's funny you mentioned about changing lyrics and like rewriting because it, it never occurred to me that you could change the lyrics of your own song later so you'll right. hear me on this show talk a lot about like dawes and and taylor goldsmith he's one of my favorites absolute favorites um, and I've seen him a few times where he'll tweak some of the words in his song. I'm like, what? You can do that? <laughs> you yeah. can do that? Yeah. But it's on the record. And like, right. but you know, or he wanted to say something else with the song and he did. And, um, you know, I've seen that a few other times since too, the few other artists. And it was just like, that blew my mind when that happened. I'm like, all right, it's your song. You knew what the hell you want, I guess. It's a really, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Like that process of, of like letting go, like digging deep and like also like letting, you know, letting hopefully some like some real inspired stuff come through you at a certain point and be like and and staying out of the way of that and not being critical of yourself or editing at the same time mm-hmm. and then being able to edit later it's it's a really it, you know it's a it's a it's a magical process and a frustrating process and of course so, it doesn't always work you know do but, you have a memory of a song that came out fully formed didn't you didn't rewrite go through the rewriting process something that was kind of came easy that just kind of yeah like um like there's a few like stargazers like that because it i i feel like i might have rewritten just a little bit of it but for the most part i mean i remember having having that title for like many many years because i have these these giant documents full of titles you know um and that's kind of interesting yeah with like ideas attached or just strictly just titles titles. and then i mean occasionally i'll write something in parentheses if i have an idea but i like to just look at the titles and have them spark an idea you know something that can that could you know or that makes me think of a story and and but it can take years you know and stargazer was just like was just sitting there for years and then i remember i think i had a issue with my my parents or something while I was in New Zealand 
and I think they, I think I got an email or something that really upset me. And it was just kind of like, and then, so, so I kind of wrote that song to myself, you know, like, and there's a, you know, Ed did this amazing t-shirt, um, with, with Josh, right? Josh Stover. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, Hey Josh, out in Portland, Oregon. Hey Josh, what's up, man? You're brilliant. (laughs) Um, there's a line in the song that's like, you are free now, um, to pick your universe. Mm -hmm. And so Ed, Ed picked up on that, which is like my favorite line of the song. Me too. And, and, and so I've got these pick your universe t-shirts, but like, it's true. I mean, it was just kind of like, I was like, you know, and that's kind of like picking your, your world, picking your family, picking your life. Mm -hmm. And like, so like, how awesome that that a song allows you to do that and just say like f off like i'm gonna pick my universe like i'm gonna write this song i'm gonna go out and sing it to people and like um i'm gonna have my family the way i want to have my family you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. like the this the song is like wide open for that so you can it's kind of like a declaration of independence for dreamers yeah yeah and you can do I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about a song. Like, I mean, if I want to write a, some pissed off songs or some revenge songs, I, I'm not known for that. Well, I was going to say, it's funny, like, you know, the two that we'll highlight just in the interest of time and the ones that, you know, you'll play for us between Stargazer and then, you know, the Blue Skies. Yeah. I mean, both of them are almost like these really eloquent pep talks. Right. To the, you know, to the, the people you're speaking to, it seems like in the song, at least. Probably to myself, you know, and it, which is... I mean, I think "Let the Blue Skies Go to Your Head" was was written for someone else, or or maybe a composite of other people. Uh-huh. But but yeah, that's a great thing that a song can do too. Like, you know, you can you can write it to yourself and hopefully lift your own spirits with it. You know, and and give yourself a message. Like, there's just messages to myself throughout that whole song. But and I, I intended it as a very positive thing, um, and and I think it is. But it affects people in a different way and I've found that a lot of people have sung it to people as they're dying which is like really powerful to me like you know someone comes up to me at a concert like hysterically crying saying like or or sending me a message saying like I just sang your song or just played your song to my father like as he as he like slipped away you know because like the last line and Jess told me that actually like as I was writing it, my wife, Jess, mm-hmm. she said, like, you know, that last verse, it kind of sounds like someone's committing suicide. It, it says, embrace the brightest light. Right. Um, you must be fearless, but you can leave tonight. And it's not about that at all. It's a, for me, it was about embracing the positivity and like, like, um, you know, being fearless and, and going where you want to go. But other people have thought of that as like someone passing over to the other side so it's been really crazy how that has that's you know that's awesome though i mean it's not awesome that yeah someone experienced pain or they went through that but the the fact that it hit them in a different way and found solace in it and that like yeah they found some solace even if they were even that even if it was emotional for them that that was the song they wanted to i mean that's almost making me want to cry like you know the the fact the fact it's really heavy to like think that they wanted to leave like th- those last moments with that song it just killed yeah yeah would yeah. you uh would you mind playing that one for us 
Yeah. Go on, stargazer. Don't ever shield your eyes. Desert your fortress. You don't belong inside. Go on, stargazer. I know it seems so far. Drown out their voices You're not who they say you are And I know your time is coming soon Coming excellent thank you yeah really enjoyed that that was beautiful and i yeah it doesn't feel as heavy now but no but now i'm thinking i may want that song at my funeral 
<laughs> Done. <laughs> Just don't go anytime soon, man. I, I, I'm not going to sing it, though. <laughs> so, in terms of releases, you put out two records basically right next to each other, right? Yeah. So, I had Stargazer, which is like a full band record. And then Natural is all duets, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like kind of duets. I mean, like full, um, just really highlighted female um, harmonies. Yeah. You know, like um, Carrie Ann Hurst from Shovels and Rope mm-hmm. and, and Dar Williams and just some amazing, I mean, every, every every singer on that record is just, you know. Yeah. For everybody that's listening, definitely go check out both records. I mean, me. all of Jesse's catalog is excellent. <laughs> that's why he's here. Um, but natural especially having heard most of your catalog and then hearing that is a really cool i wouldn't call it a departure but it's just it's a cool detour from other stuff especially coming out alongside almost as a compliment stargazer yeah it's a full band record um in in each female vocalist brings something a little different to each tune yeah you know so as you talk about sort of the you know wanting to stay away from things that maybe would otherwise be boring there's a different dynamic in each tune along with the writing, which is, I, I really enjoyed that record a lot. I have to say, it's kind of interesting because you, just to make it clearer, you recorded both of those albums pretty much at the back same back. time, back yeah. to back, yeah. in one trip to Nashville, right? With Josh Kaler. The yeah, like, yeah, I, I so. recorded Natural and then went to New Zealand to see my family there for like a month, like around Christmas. Like, um, Josh and I made Natural and like, two weeks like around christmas and and new year's and we took like christmas day off that was pretty much it you know and then i I took a break and then came back and we made stargazer it took like three months you know i remember you sending me some mixes because i was working on some album art yeah for, Uh for you and you were sending mixes and i thought it was so like natural almost snuck past me yeah because it is so kind of brilliantly simple yeah i think you really have to sit down and like take time with it and just let it hit you you know the mixes from stargazer were hit like more they're in your face right they're yeah. richer it's like string section in your face you know yeah. so i think I, when i finally came back around to natural at a much later date i'm like wow this album just like this blew me away like thank you yeah both albums thank you so albums. much yeah yeah, it was tough when we were talking about what stuff we were going to have you play. I was like, I really wanted to do Mountain Rose. Yeah, which yeah. Which is one of my favorites. And it's, the, the, I mean, lyrics are great, but like just some of the chord choices in there too are just really cool. And I always am fascinated by... I need to play that more. It's a great It's one of those tune. ones that like kind of snuck by me a little bit. And and I mean, the, again, a lot of stuff I enjoy on the record, but that one specifically really stuck out to me. And like I kept going back to that one I found. Um, I should learn that for this for this Friday. Her dad didn't drink too much wine, so did mine. Powder on the glass, we grew fast and reckless. In some ways, you go old and wise. Some ways you're forever a child, hopelessly sifting through the ashes. Ain't it so, so rare to find a soul 
And I think, too, you know, certainly it's Carrie on that one, too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's she's got a great vocal timbre, which is an interesting match with yours, too. Mm-hmm. Because yours is very, very, like, sweet and even and smooth, and she's got yeah. a little of that rasp in there that's, you know, not unlike that, but there's a little bit of a... I like the mixture, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. 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 You've been listening to Song Divers. Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own. Songs we heard in this episode are Dangerous Times, written by Jesse Terry and Alex Wong, and Stargazer, written by Jesse Terry, both from Jesse's Stargazer album. And we also heard Mountain Rose, written by Jesse Terry and Jabe Byer, from Jesse's Natural release. You've just heard part one of our conversation with Jesse. Please join us for part two, when Jesse talks about balancing the demands of being a full-time touring musician with finding time to create new music. And we also travel back in time to Jesse's teen years for some helpful tips on how to escape from reform school. A special thank you to Jesse Terry for spending time with us in the studio. You can hear Jesse's songs everywhere music is available. Follow him on Spotify, say hi on his social media channels, and get tickets for his next stop at jesseterrymusic.com. You did it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, man. That was great. Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.